How is everybody? Good. So like there's a couple of people over here who are good. Like you guys good back there, right? Right? Okay, all right. <laughs> hey, yeah, thank you. I had a really good vacation. I'm not a very good vacationer. I don't know if anyone else does this who's a workaholic, but about day five of a vacation, I sneak away and I start doing work. And um, we were down in Florida and uh, one day I disappeared, like, you know, we like slept in and we're like super lazy and stayed up late and watched TV, you know, and like vegged out and all this stuff. And um, we're down in this really nice part of Florida where it's kind of like a, a private community and stuff. Not because we can afford that, but because a really nice family who comes to church here lets us stay at their place down there. But uh, yeah, so um, uh, I escaped one day and um, left my wife a note. Hey, you gonna go get a cup of coffee? And she knew what I was doing and she calls me and she's like, hey, what are you doing? And I'm like, nothing. What are you doing? She's like, no, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm working on some stuff for church. And <laughs> so snuck away, but I'm happy to be back. I like being here. Josh did a great job last week, right? Yeah. He did a phenomenal job. I went back and watched his lesson because, you know, you just want to make sure, right? So uh, um, <laughs> he did a fantastic job. Any of you who've been coming to church here for any length of time, Josh has always been a good teacher. He has become a phenomenal teacher. He's become a really, really wonderful communicator, and he's a great pastor out in Woodbury, and I'm really, really proud of that guy. So um, yeah, that was good. Okay, so we are finishing up the book of Acts, which is kind of bittersweet. It's, it's kind of awesome because we're going to move on to other stuff, and it also kind of feels like your girlfriend's breaking up with you, so it's kind of weird at the same time, right? We've been hanging out with the book of Acts for like nine months now. You know, we have like this relationship with the book of Acts, and we're about to end it, so it's kind of tough, um, but it's going to be good, and I think you're going to enjoy the last chapter of Acts if you're new, we have literally been in this since the beginning of September of last year. So we've been in it for a while. And uh, last week, Josh did chapter 27, and we've been following Paul. And chapter 27, I think, is an interesting chapter, but it's a hard chapter to teach because it's just, it's just narrative. And so we've been following Paul as he leaves from Caesarea, which is in modern-day Syria, travels across the Mediterranean Sea on his way to the boot, right, Italy, and you know, on his, as he's on his way there, the ship gets blown off course a couple of hundred miles and falls apart and they wash up on shore. And we don't even know yet, of course, we'll find out today, we don't even know yet where do they wash up on shore. But they washed up on shore and they all made it out alive, about 276 guys, they made it out alive. And once again, Paul has been saved by God, right? He is this miraculous making it, right? And he is, uh, he, he's still alive and he's still on his way to Rome, Okay, so that's where we left off. Josh did a good job, though, of connecting that to foundations. What do we find our, our, our foundation and what do we find our hope in? He connected that really, really well last week. And if you missed that, you need to go back and watch it. It was really, really good. Now, this week, we're going to finish up. And again, if you're new, this is the fifth book of the New Testament. We're in the very last chapter of it. It's a really, really wonderful way to wrap up this book. It's a really, really neat chapter. And here's the theme we're going to kind of hit on today, and this will make a lot more sense at the end. The book of Acts is not about Paul. It's not about Peter. It's not even about the church, really. The book of Acts is about the advancement of the gospel. It's about the advancement of the message of Jesus and about Jesus himself. It's about the advancement of the knowledge of who Jesus is. So what we're going to talk about today is all of this, right? The church coming here, all this stuff that we do is not really just about us. It's about something greater than the individual. It's about Jesus Christ. It's, it's funny. 
We often think, and we have this kind of attitude of what is the Bible going to do for me? What is the church going to do for me? What is God going to do for me? It's, it's not really about you. It's about him. We're kind of minor characters in this story. It's about God. And so we need to go back to that very, very simple lesson of this book, this relationship we have with him, it's, it's about him. It's about his kingdom, not our kingdom, right? So that's what we're going to focus on today, okay? So you should have got a notes handout in front of you. Has everything I'm going to say in there. If you have the app, which I bring that up every single week, it's very, very handy. If you download the Experience Community app uh, on your phone, you click on service times and sermon notes. Everything you see is on there and all the scripture is on there. And the translation that I use, it's very, very handy. If you don't have that, please download that. It's good. All right. So I'm going to pray. We will jump into this. Everyone doing okay? Good, 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 good. That's right. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, is the sun still shining outside? I haven't been out there yet. Good, right? I have one more section of my driveway that I need to pressure wash, and that's what I'm going to do when I get home. And some people think that's weird, but I enjoy that kind of stuff, right? Anyways, let's pray, all right? <laughs> Lord Jesus, <laughs> God, I love you so much, and I'm so thankful to be back, God. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you, God, that we can come into this place and we can laugh and we can joke around, but we can also get into your word and we can hit the hard stuff and dive in deep. And God, I pray, Lord, that you open up our eyes today. Open up our ears, open up our hearts and our minds, God, to receive what you have for us. Lord, we pray that you bless our city, bless all the churches in our city, Lord, the nonprofits in our city, God. Lord, keep your hand on us, Lord, and, and just, Lord, let us be willing, usable vessels, God, for you. Lord, let us know that it's not really all about us, God. It's about you. It's about your kingdom. It's about your will. And Lord, let us focus on you today, God. We love you. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we go. Last chapter of the book of Acts. Once safely ashore, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The local people showed us extraordinary kindness. They lit a fire and took us all in. And since it was raining and cold, as Paul gathered a bundle of brushwood and put it on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. When the local people saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to one another, this man no doubt is a murderer. Even though he escaped the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But he shook the snake off into the fire and he suffered no harm. They expected that he'd begin to swell up or suddenly drop dead. But after they waited a long time and saw nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Now in the area around that place was an estate belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us hospitably for three days. Publius's father was in bed suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went to him and praying, laying his hands on him, he healed him. After this, the rest of those on the island who had disease also came and were healed. So they heaped many honors on us. And when we sailed, they gave us what we needed. Now, I know this map is a little hard to see, right? I know the writing is very, very small in there, but the, the important things are pretty visible. On the right-hand side, kind of towards the bottom, is where they left. That's Caesarea. That's modern-day Syria, okay, north of Israel. They sail up and kind of follow the coast of what is modern-day Turkey. 
They cross over into the Mediterranean right below the island of Crete, and as they're heading up towards the boot, even if you don't know geography well, you know that Italy is the boot, right? They're heading up towards the boot, they get blown off a couple of hundred miles, and they end up south of Sicily on an island called Malta, right? Beautiful island called Malta. Now, God had gotten Paul to shore safely with all 276 people who were on this boat. And while Paul was gathering wood for a fire, because it was winter time, it was cold, as Paul was gathering wood for a fire, a snake was, was uh, woken up from its hibernation, bit his hand, and it's dangling from his hand, right? Heck no, right? So the snake is dangling from his hand. The natives see this, and they're like, guy must have been a murderer or something, because even though he escaped the shipwreck, justice is going to get him, right? Now, notice in your Bible, if you have one, justice is capitalized. Little nice little nugget here. They thought that justice was God seeking revenge on this man. Now, what God they prayed to, we're not exactly sure, but they thought it was a spiritual thing, right? That God is going to get this guy back for escaping justice. So Paul not only shook the snake into the fire, where snakes go, right? He also shook off the accusation that he was a bad guy. He just kind of shook this off. I'm not being punished by God. Paul understand he, was on a, he understood that he was on a mission, and he understood that his mission wasn't done yet. He was on his way to Rome, so he knew that God wasn't going to take his life on that beach. Here's what we tend to do, though, as humans. We go to extremes with God. We either think God is like this tyrannical jerk that sits on a cloud with lightning bolts ready to strike us down every time we do something wrong, right? That's one extreme view of God, this vengeful, wrathful God. And then we have this other extreme view of God that he's this big wuss, right? He's just a hippie in the sky that lets us do whatever we want as long as we hug enough people, right? And he's kind of cool with us sinning and doing things wrong because he loves us so much. God is not either one of those things. God is fair and just. He hates injustice. And he will come back and avenge people who have been treated unfairly. He will do that. He is also a loving father. He loves us very, very much in a way we can't even comprehend. So God is a balance of the two extremes. Is he just? Of course he's just. Is he loving? Of course he's loving. He's a perfect balance of both. Here's another thing that people do. I find it funny, right? All the natives see the snake hand, hanging from his arm. He throws it in there and nothing happens to him. And they go from thinking Paul was a murderer to going, oh, he's not a murderer. He must be a God, right? And this is the other extreme that people go to. We are so quick to make idols out of everyone. And we're so quick to make idols out of everything. That's what we do in our culture nowadays. We even have TV shows, right? American Idol, right? We, and I got nothing wrong with the show. I'm just saying we like to idolize everything. And we see the people do this, right? So as all this is going on, they're warming themselves by a fire. It must have been a big fire for 276 guys to warm themselves around. But this fire is going on, and a guy named Publius shows up. Now, this guy was probably like a mayor, governor type character, right? He shows up. He says, hey, Paul, you and your friends, right? Not all 276, but your team, come back to my house and, and you, know, you can warm up there. We can eat some food. We can hang out and we can talk. And that's what he does. And so as Paul gets to this guy's house, he sees that his dad is on his deathbed. And we automatically know where this is going, right? Because we've seen it all throughout the book of Acts. Paul starts praying. 
lays his hands on the sick man, and the sick man is instantly healed. And what does this do? It sets off a chain reaction, right? As Luke and Paul are in this house and word gets out that, that Paul and Luke are healing people, everyone starts coming. Now, Luke often writes in hyperbole, kind of an exaggeration. Now, I'm sure not every single sick person on the island came to Paul and Luke, but the point still remains the same. A lot did. The majority of them probably did. Now, here's what's interesting. There are two Greek words used for the word heal in this passage. Now, this is very important. It's one of those really neat things you find when you study the Word of God. The first Greek word that I cannot pronounce is talking about miraculous healing, that many sick people came to Paul, he laid his hands on them, and they were miraculously healed. I believe in miraculous healing. I hope you do too, right? It's all throughout the Bible, and I've seen it in my personal life. I've seen people being miraculously healed. The second Greek word that is used for healing is where we get our word therapy. Now, Luke was a doctor. God has nothing against doctors, right? And so Luke was a doctor who, do, who knew different things about medicines and different kinds of therapeutic things that you could do for people. And so the second kind of healing that people received was medicinal healing, healing from a doctor. Now, God is for both of those things. He heals miraculously, and he also heals via physicians and massage therapists and chiropractors and all kinds of people who've been given a gift to use their hands and their minds to help the human body. We see that in both places here in Acts. So we don't read of any conversions during this time. Luke doesn't record that any people gave their life to Christ, but we can assume that many did. We can assume that because the natives were extremely thankful. And when these guys were about to set sail, they provided them with all the needs that they, that they had. Anything you guys need, food, water, clothes, whatever you guys need here, we give this to you. Now, here's what we learn, whether they gave their life to Jesus or not. The culture of the island was changed because these men did good works in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, if you go to your office and start doing good works in the name of Jesus Christ, whether they believe in Jesus or not, they're going to be grateful. People's attitudes are going to change. The culture, the environment, the atmosphere will look different. Good works go a long ways with people. That's why the Bible says to go out and do good things and to give God the glory for those things. Okay? All right. Everyone with me? You're awfully quiet. All right. There we go. That's what I was looking for. After three months, we set sail in an Alexandrian ship that had wintered at the island with the twin gods as its figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there three days. From there, after making a circuit along the coast, we reached Regium. After one day, a south wind sprang up, and the second day we came to Petulio, or Petuli, I can't say that. There we found brothers and sisters and were invited to stay a week with them. And so we came to Rome. Now, the brothers and sisters from there had heard the news about us and had come to meet us as far for, uh, as the Forum of Apius and the Three Taverns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and he took courage. And when we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with the soldier who guarded him. So after three months, they left Malta. Now, if you're one of those timeline people, this is about February of 61 A.D., 
they hopped on their ship. Now, this is just a fun historical fact. A lot of the ships during this time, especially Roman ships, would have Greek gods that were kind of like good luck charms for the ship. This particular ship that Paul was getting on, it was the twin gods who were the sons of Zeus, Castor and Pollux. Now, these were kind of like you would make them the figureheads of your ship and they would give you good luck as you sailed. Now, the reason why Luke mentions this is he's making fun of it. This is a guy who the true God had delivered him and Paul from all kinds of crazy stuff all over the world. And so he's saying, we hopped on board this ship with their lucky gods, right? And he's like, we don't need any luck. He's poking fun at Greek mythology. That's why Luke mentions that. So they make a couple of stops, right? They stop in Syracuse, which is in Sicily. They go up to Regium, which is in the toe of the boot. And they're on a very relaxed timetable. They're just kind of taking their time. They're working their way from the southern part of Italy, and they're just kind of working up northwest. And we see that Paul is given a ton of freedom, right? Even when they get to Rome, he's given all this freedom for like two years, and he hangs out, and he's got this guy Julius that's a Roman guard with him, but is given all kinds of freedom. And so we also learn that Paul didn't take the gospel to Italy. There was already Christians there. And as he traveled up towards Rome, he would run into different Christians and hang out with them for a week or talk with them and they would converse. And here's what's interesting. When he would meet those other Christians, they would talk about all the differences in their denominations and how their church was better than the other church and they would fight about things. That's not what happened. They would encourage each other. They would pray for each other and they would financially support each other just like Christians in the South, right? That's what we do at churches. We want to work together and talk about and pray for other churches and bless other, other groups of Christians. See, we've only gotten better as time has gone on as Christians, right? Anyways, the point is this. Christians are called to be brothers and sisters in Christ. We are one family, now, don't get me wrong, I love the fact that a lot of people come to this church. I had lunch with Brady Cooper over at New Vision a couple of weeks ago. I love that guy. And I'm like, man, I am so happy that you guys had to launch another service and you're doing so much more. And that church is blowing up and doing great things. And I talked to Pastor Allen not too long ago and saw him and, and he goes, Corey, we pray for you every day. And I'm like, man, that's so awesome. We pray for you guys. And so good things are happening. And that's the way the kingdom should be. It's not about being on team the experience. It's about being on team Jesus, right? We just want people to get to heaven. And so that's how we should be as Christians. I'll tell you, this becomes really real when you go to an area where there's not very many Christians. Again, if you go up in the northeast part of the country and you run into another Christian, you're like buddies from the get-go. You're like, wow, you're one too? Awesome, right? And you talk and you become friends and there's this instant camaraderie. That's what Paul was experiencing. We have become spoiled and kind of tainted a little bit sometimes. Anyways, let me move on. I'm getting hung up there. So if you've been with us for any length of time, in Acts chapter 23, Jesus told Paul, you're going to go to Rome and you're going to testify. Now, here he is in Rome testifying. Now, maybe this is my literature side of it, but this is how I think of Paul and Luke, right? You have kind of this like deep thinking older apostle that's traveled all over the world and his kind of like inquisitive doctor sidekick Luke. And they have traveled all over the place and now they find themselves in Rome. Not only in Rome, they have tremendous freedom and they're sharing the gospel. 
Now, here's what this made me think of. Guys, if we will not only pray to the Lord and talk to the Lord, but if you and I will get in the habit of listening to the Lord, if we will be quiet, turn everything off, like throw your phone somewhere far away and like, like just get quiet for a minute and listen to the Lord and not just listen to the Lord, but if you will be obedient to what he tells you to do, guys, you will have no idea how shocked you will be at the places God will take you if we will listen to him and be obedient to him. I'm not just talking about geography, right? God may take you to another part of the world, but God may take your marriage someplace you never thought it could be. If you'd be, if you just shut up, listen, right? And do what the Lord tells you to do. He would take your friendships. He would take your job. He would take all kinds of things in your life to places you never thought they would go. But we have to listen and we have to do what Jesus tells us to do, okay? So after three days, Paul called together the leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors, I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. After they examined me, they wanted to release me since there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. Because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, even though I had no charge to bring against my people. For this reason, I've asked to see you and to speak to you. In fact, it is for the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. Then they said to Paul, we haven't received any letters about you from Judea. That's South Israel. None of the brothers have come and reported or spoken anything evil about you. But we want to hear what your views are since we know that people everywhere are speaking against this sect. That's, that's Christianity. After arranging a day with him, many came to him in his lodging, and from dawn to dusk, he expounded and testified about the kingdom of God. He tried to persuade them about Jesus from both the law of Moses, that's the first five books of the Bible, and the prophets, the rest of the Old Testament. Some were persuaded by what he said, but others did not believe. If you have not been here, Paul has a pattern everywhere he goes. He goes first to the Jewish people and then to the non-Jewish people, and he never broke that pattern. He does that in Rome as well, but because he can't go out, he sent word and they came to his place. The beginning of the conversation is Paul saying, I'm innocent. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't break any laws. I didn't do anything against the Jews. I didn't do anything against the Romans. I'm an innocent man. And kind of surprisingly, they go, we didn't hear anything about you, Paul. Like, we didn't, know you, we didn't know anything about this. And so the reason why the Jews in Rome probably hadn't heard anything negative about Paul is the Jews in Rome were just getting reestablished in that area. All the Jews had been kicked out of Rome in AD 50, and they were just coming back to that part of Italy, so they weren't really communicating a lot with other people. Though they hadn't heard about what had happened to Paul, they had heard about Christianity. The word sect literally means a heresy or like a cult. And the Romans thought that Christianity was a cult, right? For many hundreds of years, they thought it was a cult. And so they said, we had heard about that. Tell us about that. So he was set up perfectly, right? They asked. So he says, this is the hope of Israel. He was saying, this is your only hope. 
This is your salvation is on the line because of this message. It was of the utmost importance. And so a large group of of Jewish leaders stayed at his house where he was, and he started trying to connect the dots, right? From the first five books of the Bible into the rest of the Tanakh, that's the Old Testament, connecting all of it to Jesus Christ. He brought up the origins of Jesus, that he came from the Father, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And then he concluded with, Jesus is one day coming back. He has given us salvation and he's going to come back and he's going to judge humanity. So here's what's interesting. Luke records this and we see this all throughout the Bible. The people hear and some people accept the truth and some people deny. They reject the truth. It's all throughout the New Testament. Now, Jesus was asked one time by his disciples. He said, they, they said, Jesus, tell us when you're going to come back. And Jesus said in Matthew 24, I will come back when all people on earth, when every nation has had the opportunity to hear about me. Unfortunately, by the time Jesus comes back, all people on earth will have had some kind of opportunity to hear about Jesus. But unfortunately, so many people will not receive the truth not because they're like murderous, you know, like little Hitlers running around, but because they don't have it as a priority in their life. Guys, that's a lot of us. We like the idea of salvation, but it's just not that important right now. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24. They said, what's it going to be like when you come back? And this is what Jesus says. He says, in the days before the flood, they were eating Drinking, getting married, giving away each other in marriage until the day that Noah boarded the ark. So in the days of Noah and the ark, I think everyone knows that story, right? Did you guys know it took Noah over a hundred years to build that sucker, right? Guys building a boat in his front yard for a hundred years? Everyone's like, you know, like we got stuff to do. We're going to eat. We're going to drink. We're going to hang out. We're going to party. We're going to do our thing, right? We're just going to live our life. And then one day a raindrop falls. Oh no, Noah was right. It was too late though. He was already on the ark. Jesus says it's gonna be exactly the same way when he comes back. It's not that everyone's gonna be out just doing awful things all the time, but having a relationship with God just hasn't been a priority and then one day it's gonna sneak up on them. And Jesus says it's gonna be like two men working in a field. One is prepared and one is not prepared. And then the son of man, Jesus Christ, comes back. Guys, that's a very sobering scripture. I hope everyone kind of feels the magnitude of Jesus' words in Matthew in chapter 24. Okay, last part. Disagreeing among themselves, they began to leave after Paul made one statement. Paul says, The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah when he said, this is from Isaiah chapter 6, Go to these people and say, You will always be listening but never understanding. You will always be looking, but never perceiving. For the hearts of these people have grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. Paul stayed two whole years in his rented house, and he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness 
and without hindrance. So though the Jewish leaders were debating with him, no one got up and walked out on him until he's quoted Isaiah 6, verses 9 and 10. Jesus also used these scriptures when he was teaching people about why he taught in parables. So here's what this passage is saying in a nutshell. Isaiah talks about it in chapter 6. Paul talks about it here. And Jesus talks about it in the gospel. That the biggest obstacle of mankind is our lack of humility and our lack of willingness to change. This is our biggest obstacle. If we can get over our pride and our arrogance, and if we would be willing to change, God can do amazing things for us. But that is the speed bump. That is the roadblock that stops many of us to having a good relationship with God. Here's the thing. And here's why Paul quoted the Old Testament. The Word of God diagnoses us. We don't like that. Let me tell you something. If you're in this room, whether you're a non-believer or maybe you've been a believer for 40 years, if you get into this book, if you get into this book with an open mind and an open heart, I'm going to tell you what, you're going to read things in this book that hurt. You're going to come across things that, that are sharp, right? And they cut at you. That's not a bad thing. But what the Bible does is the Bible points out to us the things that are separating us from our Creator, the things that are separating us from having a relationship with our Father God. And what we fail to realize is the Bible breaks us down, but we have to be broken down before we can be built up and made into what God wants us to be. And the danger is when we refuse to get into this book, when we refuse to let this book diagnose us, when we refuse to let this book guide us, we will eventually reach a point where we are incapable of even hearing the truth. Bible says it multiple times. Isaiah said it, Paul says it in the book of Romans, and Jesus says it in the gospel. We will reach a point to where our ears are so shut and our eyes are so closed that when the truth's right in front of us or spoken to us, we're incapable of even receiving it and hearing it. Not only will that make us suffer greatly in this life, we will pay the penalty in eternity, forever. And so Rome wasn't in a hurry to do anything with Paul yet. I mean, this guy stayed on house arrest, a very loose house arrest, for two years. And so he taught about the kingdom of God. Luke was recording everything that was going on. Paul writes the book of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon during this time, this two years. And Luke is finishing up the book of Acts. And when the book of Acts is finished, shortly thereafter, Paul is sent up north a little bit further in the, in the heart of Rome, and he went to what is called the Mamertine Prison, which was actually a pretty rough place to be. But the way Luke finishes Acts is interesting. We finish the book of Acts with like this note of victory, right? Paul teaches without any hindrance, and he teaches with boldness and all these people come to him and it just looks like we are just winning, man. Paul gets to Rome and he's just kicking tail, right? And so here's the thing. Luke was not really recording the life of Paul. The book of Acts is not about Paul. It's about the advancement of the gospel. So it's not about what happened to Luke. That's not what Acts is about. The way that Acts concludes, listen to this. Rome was the craziest, most hedonistic city on planet earth. Maybe in the existence of all human history, Rome was insane. Crazy stuff happened in Rome for 400 years plus 
Rome was the most hedonistic, sadistic, twisted place you could possibly be on earth. Messed up. And the way Acts concludes is not only was the Bible and the teachings of Jesus being spread in Rome, it was taking off. It was moving. It was advancing, even in the most hedonistic, powerful city on planet earth. The message of Jesus was still moving forward. So here's the thing. A lot of people have a problem with the book of Acts because it kind of ends abruptly, right? You're like, whoa, what happened to Paul, right? The story keeps going on. And so Acts focuses on certain people like Paul, but it focuses on guys like Paul to tell a bigger story, not the story of Paul, the story of the gospel. Now, what we don't read in the book of Acts and what happened later is eventually the Caesar of Rome had Paul's head cut off, had Peter crucified upside down. Eventually, Nero went nuts, started to burn Rome to the ground and blamed it all on the Christians, and widespread persecution broke out against the church. We don't read any of that in Acts, but that's not what Acts is about. Acts is about Jesus. It's about the message of Jesus, and the message is bigger than any messenger or any group of messengers. Here's our problem, though, guys. I'm going to switch gears here for a second. Our problem is, is all of us in this room gravitate towards selfishness. All of us. Let's be honest, right? All of us gravitate towards looking out for ourselves. It's about me. What can the church do for me? How can my uh, career be advanced? How can I get this bigger house or nicer car? What's in it for me, right? All of us do that. You're not a bad person if you've done that. We've all done it. All of us in this room. Here's the beauty, though, of having a real relationship with Jesus. The beauty of a life with Christ is that we do not get our fulfillment from the things that we do. We get our fulfillment and our purpose and our value from what he has done for us. You, do you guys hear that? When we become a Christian, it's not about what I can do to achieve contentment. It's about the fact that Jesus died on the cross to bring me freedom and joy and love and peace and grace, that I receive those things from his actions, not my actions. That's the beauty of being a Christian. Jesus said it this way. He said, if you want to find your life, lose it. Isn't that amazing? Aren't the words of Jesus just amazing? He said, if you want to know what it's like to truly live, die. Die to yourself because what Jesus has for us is truly living. That's where the joy is. That's where the peace is. That's where the contentment is. Now, again, because we're fallen humanity, we tend to take that and say, well, I don't have any responsibility. I became a Christian. I don't have to do anything good. I don't have to share the gospel with anyone. It's all about my salvation. It is not just about your salvation. That's step number one. But once we are saved, we have a very heightened, amplified responsibility. Listen, if you have the keys to contentment and joy in your hands, you are responsible for opening up the door so other people can walk into that. So if you know and understand that the God of the universe died for your soul, died for you and loves you in your brokenness, in your ugliness, 
that he wants to be close to you and redeem you and make you into a better person, both now and forever. If we know that, but we fail to share that with other people, we are not being the followers of Christ that we're supposed to be. It didn't end with the disciples. The disciples made disciples, and they made disciples, and hundreds of billions of people later, Christianity is the largest faith on planet Earth. It's not just about us that we're supposed to share this. So this means that we think beyond just us. It's not just about my salvation. I'm going to heaven, Corey. Great. Now tell other people about it. Live like a Christian. Share with other people. Give to other people. Teach other people. Model what it means to be Jesus because it's not just about you. It's about his kingdom and we want his kingdom to be as big as it can possibly be when we get up there. I hope it's crowded in heaven, right? I hope there's a lot of people there. So let's take inventory, right? The first one is this. Do you and I, are we honest with ourselves to say that we need help? Did everyone see the Chris Pratt video from the MTV Music Awards? Brilliant, right? Brilliant. I cried during that video, except for the part when he's talking about like peeing and pooping at parties, but like, like the rest of it, absolutely brilliant, man. Brilliant. One of the most brilliant things he said to an MTV generation, it was remarkably brilliant. He says, everyone keeps saying that you're perfect the way you are. He goes, that's wrong. You're imperfect. Isn't that brilliant? We need to acknowledge that there's nothing good inside of us apart from Jesus Christ. Oh, Corey, that's the Bible. I'm quoting the Bible. There is nothing good in us. Whenever people say, just look inside yourself, if you look inside yourself, you're gonna see some darkness. If we're full of the Holy Spirit, you will see light, but that's not us, that's God in us. There's, no, there's nothing good in Corey Trimble. The only good that comes out of me is by the grace of God because the Holy Spirit is inside of me. But that starts, we can only be full of his spirit when we acknowledge that we need him. We are desperately in need of Jesus Christ. We are desperately in need of his Holy Spirit in everything we do in life, in every conversation we have, in every job we take, everything we do. We have to acknowledge that we need him, that we're selfish, we're broken. We need help. And if we do that and we start picking up the word of God, are we letting the word of God diagnose our sin? When we get into this, man, if you guys just want to feel like some good conviction tonight, read 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We can all just feel super convicted tonight before we go to bed, right? Super convicting chapter. Read that chapter. When it gets into all the things that will separate us from Jesus Christ for eternity, do we let the Word of God diagnose us? And when we read things in the Word of God that contradict the way that we're living, do we do anything about it? When the Bible talks about how we rob from God in Malachi 3, does that change the way you spend money? I hope it does, right? When we read in different parts in Matthew, when it talks about how we uh, handle our marriage, when we read in Ephesians 5, talking about respecting our, our husbands and, and loving our wife like Christ loves the church, do we, do we respond to that? Or do we use grace and love as an excuse to continue to sin? Let me answer that for you, yes. People all the time. Well, Corey, I know I'm having sex with my boyfriend outside of marriage, but like, God's gracious. He is gracious. He's so gracious that he will forgive you if you would repent for that sin. He's so gracious that he wants you to live a better life than that so you can enjoy your marriage, so you can be pure. 
Yes, God loves you. Yes, God is gracious. That's why he has a high standard for you. Because you're precious. You're better than those things. And we hide behind grace and love. Do you know what Paul said about that? Here I go quoting the Bible again, right? Here's what Paul said about that. Paul said, should we sin more so grace can abound? Paul said, absolutely not. So whenever people say, Corey, I'm saved, but you know, I do these things. You are wearing grace out. That is not what we're intended to do. God has given us freedom where sin doesn't have that dominion over us anymore. Quit hiding behind grace and love and start clinging on to righteousness and holiness and living the way God wants us to live. God will bless you for that. God will honor you for that. So are we being responsible with the knowledge we have? Well, Corey, I don't want to beat people up with Jesus. Let me tell you what. If your marriage is about to fall apart and you're about to go to hell, I'm going to beat you up with Jesus. I'm so sick. Hold on. I'm so sick of people saying, well, I just don't want to offend anyone. We are so worried about what people think about us that we are letting people's lives be train wrecked. Get over yourself. Get over what people think about you and tell people about Christ. Tell people that he saves and heals and delivers. Share with people why you have joy in your heart. Of course we do it with tact and grace and love. But man, if you have a friendship with four years and people still don't know that you're a Christian, that's not okay. When we go out into the culture, we may feed 6,000 people this year. That's fantastic. If we don't share the gospel, we are missing something. Because I don't care how full your belly is and how big your house is. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, ultimately you are lost. Are we being good stewards with the knowledge of the gospel? Well, I don't want to offend. Jesus was quite offensive at times. Quite offensive. That's why they nailed him to a hunk of wood. Because he walked around saying the truth. And people are going to try to crucify you too. But do you love the gospel more than you love your own reputation? Are we aware that we are symbiotic? What does that mean? That means that we're all connected. We're one bride of Christ. If you were to walk up to the bride of Christ and you were to hit the toe with a sledgehammer, the whole body feels it. What that means is, is when you fall, I feel it. When I fall, you feel it. When we let each other down, when we're apathetic, the whole body hurts. Do you know that you're symbiotic? Women, do you know that when you disrespect your husband in public, do you know it doesn't just affect you and him? It hurts other relationships. You know, it hurts your kids' future, future relationships. You know, men, when you don't treat your wife with the kind of love that God treats you, you know, it doesn't just affect you and her. We are connected. And these mistakes that we make and these things that we do that are so selfish, it reverberates for generations and generations and generations. It affects a lot more people than you think. That's a lot of pressure, Corey. Yeah, no one said this was easy. No one said this was easy. The last thing is this. Do you guys understand that what you're looking at right now is not eternal? You know what's interesting about humans? We are constantly chasing things that are just going to eventually break down. Isn't that funny about us? People will kill each other to get into a Walmart to get a TV that will end up in a landfill in five years. 
It's true. We'll judge each other because we don't have the newest $1,200 phone. And it'll just be obsolete in a year and a half. Right? We keep constantly trying to keep up with our looks, but we're only getting older. I mean, it's not that you shouldn't be healthy. It's not that you shouldn't take care of yourself. I think God wants us to. But guys, if all your hope is in your looks, that only becomes more challenging as we get older, right? We keep putting more and more into things that Jesus said are going to pass away. All the old things will pass away. It's temporary. Hey, here's the other thing, guys. We also get so hung up on the bad things in our life, right? Sometimes we pursue all these good things, right, that the world calls good, right, all these things. If I can have these things, I'll be happy, right? But they're temporary. And then we get so hung up in the bad times. I'm in this financial situation or I'm going through this relational issue. Do you guys know that that's not permanent either? That the pain you're going through, the struggles you're going through, the scars and the hurts, even if they last you until the end of your life, they are temporary. Here's the thing, guys. Listen to me real carefully. It's not the hurtful things that happen in our life that determine our eternity. It's not the pursuit of material things and and comforts that determine our eternity. It's our integrity in both of those times. It's if we handle both of those things like Jesus wants us to handle it. Nothing wrong with success. Nothing wrong with buying a nice car or having a nice home. Nothing wrong with that. But it's acting like Jesus in the pursuit of that. It's making sure that Christ is still first. And when life starts to fall apart, when things are rough and when things are hard, it's going back and leaning on Christ as our strong tower. It is in the temporary, the decisions we make in the temporary affect us for eternity. But all the things that you guys worry about so much now, Jesus said even the heavens and earth are going to be wiped away and we're going to start over with a new universe and a new earth. All the old things will go. The kingdoms of this earth, the popularity of the earth, the money, the the, the fame, the fortune, all these things. Not just those things. Jesus says even the pain of this earth will go away. It's not for forever. I did seven suicide funerals last year. Seven. That's more than every other month I did a funeral specifically for a suicide. Listen, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm a guy who tried to kill himself three times. Three times. It was on the third one that I found Jesus. Three times. But what people who are in that state of mind fail to realize is this pain right now is not for forever. That one day Christ is coming back. We will have a glorified body and we will live in a place where there is no tears. There is no pain. There is no sorrow. The old things, the old ways, they're gone. They have been removed. Do you know that? The things you see right now are not for forever, but the choices we make now will last for forever. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you were in this room and um, maybe you have put other things before God, maybe you've put your job, your career, maybe you've put money or relationships or whatever it may be. Maybe you've put those things in front of God. Listen, there's nothing wrong with career, nothing wrong with making money, nothing wrong with 
being successful, none of those things are wrong. They only become wrong when they become more important than God. But if you've done that, listen, God can forgive you of that and God can set your priorities straight. You don't have to be a slave to those desires. If you're in here and you're also going through some kind of struggle, something hard has happened in your life, I want to encourage you, lean on him. The pain you're dealing with, the frustration, the hurt, the scars, the abuse, whatever it is, that is not for forever. I give you my word that if we would lean on Jesus, if we would build a relationship with him, he will help you endure those times. If you were in this room and maybe you're curious about Jesus, maybe you feel something in your gut right now, you're not a Christian, but you don't know where to start. Up here to my right, your left, Dave and Phil are up here. Come up here and, and, and ask them any questions. Talk to them. If you, if you don't know where to even begin, why don't you come up here and ask them and let them talk to you. If you're in here and you need prayer for anything, there are men and women on both sides of the stage, please come up here and get prayer. Seek some help. Let, let us join with you. Let us bear each other's burdens, as Paul writes in Galatians. If you're in here and you just want to take communion, there's communion all the way around you that represents the body and blood of Jesus that gave his life for us, that sacrificed for us, rose again, and has given us his Holy Spirit. Everyone is welcome to take that as long as you ask Jesus to forgive you of, his sins, of your sins. Father, Lord, we love you. God, our prayer, Lord, is that we focus on the eternal things, God, the things that are truly important, God. Lord, forgive us if we've been greedy or materialistic or selfish. God, forgive us if we have let our problems become a bigger mountain than what, than what you are in our life. God, we love you and we thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for your son that died for us on the cross that gives us freedom and peace, Lord, and contentment and joy. God, if anyone needs help or if they need prayer or if they need answers for their questions, God, Lord, please let them come up. We love you and we thank you and we praise you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself.